Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Well, you're ready for the senior citizens, huh? <laughs> Are that's what, that's, we're we're kind of on the tail end of this, so hopefully we've got something for you. I know we do. One of the things Josh was talking about is about honor. One of the things that stuck out in me about this talks that we're given, honor is one of the main things in it. And I think it's a word that with a definition that sometimes we really don't understand it. Because we read about it, we hear about it, and to really end up doing it, I think you, you have to really live it in your life. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I'm going to, I thought, what, what would we talk about, you know, to get, kick this thing off with, and We've been on a lot of missions in our life and stuff over to other countries, build churches and so forth and things like that for other places. And uh, when, you, when I really think about that, I thought, no, I don't need to talk about that. We need to really talk about honor and how that is when you serve people. Because that you're really not on the mission trip a lot of times. You're ending up building, a, I build a kitchen, I build a church. I've done that overseas. I work with people and stuff with a lot of deaf kids. Philippines and stuff, but what you really have to do, you have to get entwined into their lives and have actually feel what they feel and stuff in order for you to be able to serve them. And we've been able to do that, and I thank God for that. Uh, so one of the things that Scripture tells us is that we're to honor all. And First uh, Peter 2.17 says, honor everyone, honor the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Like Josh had mentioned, like with the president, uh, we're told to honor people, and that's it. There's no wiggle room in it. We try to find it, but there is not. Uh, in the message, it says it a little different. It says, uh, treat everyone with, that you meet with dignity, love your spiritual family, revere God, and respect the government. So there's different meanings that you can get from the word honor, but I'm going to tell you a little story that I seen here not too long ago. I like old westerns. My past, this came from Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke movies. And it, I mean, Tells our age, if, right? Gunsmoke, whoa. <laughs> if you've ever seen any of a, a Gunsmoke series, you watch it, the people that wrote Gunsmoke were very, very, they knew God. There's a lot of stories in there. That, I mean, they, lit, they, they really did. And anyway, this is a story that, that laid a little bit about honor. There was a, a, a gal that uh, she had a, was married to an Indian, and the village got raided. And it got raided. This, this little boy got hurt. He got crippled, and her husband got killed. And the man that led this raid was a cavalry uh, sergeant major, and he... Uh, completely destroyed his life because he tried to stop it when, when they were when they hit this village and they ended up killing a bunch of little kids and women and stuff along with some of the men. And so the story goes that this guy, he, he got out of the service then because of that and he was, comes into this town and he's selling rat traps for a living, you know, and he just, he's beat down because what happened to him, he just, he couldn't handle it, you know, because he couldn't stop what, what had happened when they raided this camp. Well, what took place was he comes into this town and this woman is living in this town with this little boy. And uh, he meets this, this 
woman, this little boy, and he kind of gets real attracted to the little boy, he gets really close with him and stuff, and gives him a horse and so forth. And later on, what find out that he was the individual that led this raid on this camp. And so he was responsible for her husband's death and the little boy being crippled. So the story goes on. The little he tries to explain to him and so forth, you know, what had happened and stuff, and there just there was no forgiveness, you know. The woman she didn't have no forgiveness at all for him. But the little boy, because he was so close with that little boy, he kinda he liked him and he asked mom, you know, so one day he walks into the kitchen, he walks into the kitchen, he he says to her, he says, uh, Mom, he says, if I ever do anything bad, he says, will you forgive me? And she looked at him and she knew she, what he was talking about because she couldn't forgive this man for what he'd done. You know, the story continues on. This little boy runs into this man, goes to town and sees him. He's sitting at, pretty well broken hearted and he's sitting in his bed and this little boy walks in the room and he, he says, he was talking with the little boy and, and he told the boy, he said, I wish you could understand, I wish you could understand, you know, what took place, and he said, well, I wish you'd forgive me, and he says, you know, he says, I, I just don't have any honor anymore. I've lost all my honor. He says, you know what I mean by honor, don't you? And the little boy says, this is the thing that struck me. He said, yeah, I do know what honor is. He said, honor is, he says, is when somebody does something bad to you and you forgive them. You know, so it's, it's it, honor is a big thing, and, and you can look at it in many different ways. One of the... Uh, Stories that, I, that jumped out at me was Luke 10, 30 to 38. It's a Samaritan story, the Good Samaritan. He said, there was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across the road to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. The Samaritan traveled, traveling the road came to him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfected, bandaged his wounds. Then he lifted him up into the, his donkey, led him to the inn, made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you when I get back. So the question was asked, what do you think? Which of the three be, became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated, I just put a little emphasis around, honored, honored that man. What, the one who honored the man? The religious scholar responded saying, go and do the same. I want you to notice something. It said, it's, he said, notice it stated in his heart Notice that it said that it was out of his heart. He, he had passion for the man. It came out of his heart. All true honor originates from the heart. What, what goes into your heart, it, it has to come from your heart. And what's in your heart will determine whether you honor or not. So what you place in your heart is extremely important. Uh, you can have honor in your heart. You can't have it unless you have love. Because we're told, like in First Corinthians, 13, uh, the, of the three mentions, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of them is love. So you have to have love if you're going to have honor. She's tapping in. <laughs> <laughs>
In the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, it says, and this is talking to the children of Israel, of course, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And in Deuteronomy 11:23, so you faithfully obey the command I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. In the Amplified, it says, walk in all of his ways, cleave unto him. The Lord will drive out the nations, is what they were saying in the Old Testament. But then you get into the New Testament, and Jesus is speaking to the religious scholar in uh, Luke 10, 27. And he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and every thought. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. And as Dale said, what's in our heart will determine if we honor or not. Are we going to honor God by loving God? Do we honor others and serve them if we don't have love in our heart? You know, probably not well. Not like God loves them. Not like God calls us to serve them. So love will determine what if you honor someone or not. So there's something that jumped out at me. So dealing with people will always show what's in your heart. People, they're, they're one of the God's greatest assets, boy. I mean, he, he'll bring people into your life and test you to the point. As far as honoring somebody, when you're talking about speaking like this to a group of people, whether you get something from me or not is whether you honor me. It's the same way with, with when I'm sitting out there. I'm looking at somebody, and he comes up here. If they've got a past or whatever that I let that past get uh, into me, and they could have the greatest message in the world, and I won't get it. I, I, will, I will not. I, I won't. You have to be honor people. So one, in First Corinthians 13, it goes through and tells you what love is, and I'm going to just read these, because when, as I read them, I want you to think about this now, because we're talking about honor and service. It says, Lover, love never gives up. Never gives up. So when you're serving somebody, Remember that if you, if, when you're doing it. Love uh, cares more for others than itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Does, doesn't force itself on others. Doesn't, isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revile when others gravel takes pleasure in flowering the truth, puts up with anything, always looks for the best, trusts God's all, trust God always, never looks back, keeps going to the end. So love bears all, believes all, hopes all, endures all. So have others believed the best about you in the past, even though you didn't give them reason to hope for a turnaround in your life? Do you honor those type of people? But we have a tendency, I do at times, I catch myself doing every once in a while, not honoring somebody because of something that I know about them in their past. You know, and that's... Talking about serving, as it, our service flows out of our love to God and honoring Him, and then we can, with His love, not always our own, hopefully some of our own, as because that his love is shed abroad in us, then we can serve others. And serving is really, you know, to minister to, to wait upon, 
to place beside, to set before, to be able to have power to fear. Serving is not being a hearer only, but a doer. <laughs> and that's with the love of God in us. Sometimes it's hard to serve with, in our own flesh because what's our motive in doing it? It's got to flow out of what Dale said, out of a heart of love, to flow into others with the love of Christ. Again, what's in your heart? It's, it's an attitude of your heart. So let's talk about service a little bit. Is that I wrote down, service is an overflow which pours from a life which is filled with love and devotion. Service is what I bring to the relationship and is a reflection of my, my identification with the nature of God. Service is an expression of my nature, and God's call is an expression of his nature. God will reveal himself in me, and out of devotion to him, service becomes, an every, which becomes my everyday way of life. I like to say that there's a huge difference between ser doing and being. Most of the time in our service, we're, we're doing. Constantly doing, doing instead of being. When you, when you, if you have something that you enjoy doing, it just flows from you. You don't have to even worry about it. It just does. So in service, if you're used to serving stuff and doing it, it won't even be a task. You won't even think of it that you're serving. You, you just do it. That's something that you end up doing. It becomes a way of life to you. If, I, if you do become exhausted spiritually, this means that the, your vital energies are completely out and spent. Spiritual, spiritual exhaustion is never a result of sin, but of service. Whether or not you experience exhaustion will depend on where you get your supply. Yeah, yeah. So if you're, I mean, there, I, can, I can think of cases, uh, you know, where, where a person can get, where you, that'll happen to you. I'll, I'll, mention, I'll mention this one that I can see that it does happen a lot. For instance, you're down serving children down in a church. The service goes long. It's longer yet. It's, it's very, it, it is. It's very easy for you to get exhausted. You'll end up doing that there. And, and, and it'll, it'll get to the point. But because you're not pulling, your source is not from God. It's from yourself trying to do something. At the same time, you know, I'm going to, this is called boot camp, too. So this, at the same time, I'm going to say something to you. Is that remember, too, that when those people are down there, they're serving, and you're up here serving and so forth. Remember that when the service is over, they've been down, down there doing that for a long period of time already. You need to get down there as a parent and get your kid. I, I, because they've already been held up for maybe a half hour longer and so forth. So that honor goes both ways. You need to, they need to honor you and you need to honor them. It's, it goes both ways. So you need to do that. In Colossians 3.17, this is the uh, Passion Translation. It says, let every activity of your lives and every word that comes from your lips be drenched with the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, and bring constant praise to God the Father because of what Christ has done for you. And then on in verse 23 of the same chapter, it says, put your heart and soul into every activity you do, you do as though you're doing it for the Lord himself, not merely for others. 
And that's, that's our motivation. We're doing it as onto the Lord. If we're doing it for ourselves, if we're doing it for recognition, if we're doing it out of selfish ambition or out of our flesh or to gain something, then our heart's wrong. We have to go back to that love of God, loving God, and out of that loving God, that vertical relationship with the Lord, then we can serve others, whether they deserve it or not, whether we agree with them or not, whether we like what we're doing or have been asked to do. If we do it as unto the Lord in honoring him first, first above all, honoring and loving Jesus, then it will be an honor and loving a people instead of coming out of our, our flesh. And Philippians 2, 4 and 5 in the Passion, it says, Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. And then if you consider Jesus, the example that he set before us, his uh, mindset becomes our motivation. Jesus Christ was humble, willing to give up his rights in order to obey God and to serve people. Like Christ, we should have a servant's attitude. Serving out a love for God and then out of that love of God flowing into loving others, not out of guilt, not out of fear. Remember, you can choose whom you serve and you can choose your attitude in serving. You can approach life expecting to be served or you can look for opportunities to serve others. And how many times do we miss those divine appointments? Because we're not listening to God. We're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit's promptings. In your service for others, uh, they will draw Jesus through you. A lot of times when you're working, people will have a tendency of really seeking Jesus through you until they learn to go directly to them yourself. And in the process of them doing that, they will pull on you. So you have to be really, really careful that you keep your eyes on God. And that's your source all the time. Because if you don't, they get to pulling on you. It'll drag you down. That'll happen. I like Romans 12, 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, well, I like the tail end of this, which is your spiritual worship. So your service, one of your services to God is your life in general, just as people see you. That's spiritual worship. That's very, very important because what you see in people will determine whether you honor them or not. So you need to really be careful about that. Um, when you just said that about worship, we, we tend to partition off the worship service up here but our lives, every aspect of our lives, is worship to the Lord. You know, in our, in our relationships with one another, in our relationships in marriage or in employer-employee, in friendships, in just community in our church, everything that we do is an act of worship, whether it's serving, whether it's singing, whether it's preaching, whether it's tithing, whether it's giving, whatever it is, is an act of worship to the Lord. And there's a Tozer quote that hit me years ago that has always stuck with me, 
and he said, worship fails to be worship when it reflects the culture around you more than the Christ within you. And, you know, as we serve one another in community, we need, and, and not just our church community, in our work community, and just community in general, at the grocery store, at the gas station, at the hospital, wherever you are, if we're reflecting the culture around us more than the Christ within us, our life is no longer a life of worship to the Lord. Uh, let's talk a little bit about being our brother's keeper. In Romans 14, 7, it says, none of us lives to himself. Has it ever dawned on you that you are responsible spiritually to God for other people? For instance, if I allow my turning away from God in my private life, everyone around me suffers. You know that to be true because of Ephesians 2.6. If one member suffers, all members suffer. But you ask, who is sufficient to be able to do such a lofty standard? We have to remember our sufficiency is from God and God alone. Paul's chief motivation for service was not for others, but his love for his Lord. And I think that's the key to being able to serve, is that you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord at all times. You've got to keep it off your service and everything. You've got to keep it on the Lord. If our devotion is the cause of if the devotion is for the cause of humanity, we will be quickly defeated and brokenhearted, since we will be confronted with a great deal of ingratitude from other people. But if we are motivated by love for God, no amount of ingratitude will be able to hinder us from serving one another. The real test of a server is not the willingness to preach the gospel, but the willingness to do something like washing disciples' feet. This is the, that is being willing to do those things that seem unimportant in human estimation, but count for everything to God. Um, another thing that we have to remember is we can't serve God and mammon. And I read a, a portion of um, Rick Renner's book, sparkling gems on service and he was talking about this very verse in Matthew 6 24 about no one can serve two masters for either you'll hate one or love the other or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and mammon and you know that mammon means uh, money riches but whatever but Rick Renner is uh, just brought it in so clear to me so I'm going to read that. Uh, when Jesus told us you cannot serve God and mammon, he was telling us that both God and mammon require time, attention, energy, and money. Jesus knew there's not enough of you or me to properly service God both, both God and worldliness in our lives. Hence, we must choose. We must choose the master we're going to serve. Once that decision is made, we must then hate the one and love the other. To truly serve God, you must spend time with him so you can know his voice and develop a pattern of obedience in your daily walk. And again, that daily walk is your worship 
to the Lord. It will demand your fullest attention. The work of God must be serviced with prayer, obedience, repentance, and worship. If a person chooses to serve mammon, worldliness, instead of the Lord, he will have to turn his attention and devotion to the world. As a worldly person, he will be required to learn the ways of the world and adapt to the thinking of the world. Serving the world and worldliness requires 100% of a person's attention. Just as serving God requires time, attention, energy, and money, and the world will demand the same from you. This is why Jesus said it's not possible to serve God and man. You see, there's just not enough of us, not enough of me, not enough of you, to serve both these masters simultaneously. So you must choose whom you're going to serve. Who, who are you serving in your life right now? What requires most of your time, attention? It's that uh, kind of reflection as Josh was talking about, you know, thinking about what's going on in your life. You know, where is that time spent? Where is that energy spent? Where is that attention spent? And one of the verses that Dale had on his heart for many years that we have on our sign at our house is from Joshua 24:15, which says, choose you this day. And then the last part of it is, but as for, you know, whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, that choose you this day whom you will serve. That's an everyday decision. Not just today and think you're going to do it all the rest of your life. It's a daily decision, just like the time that we need to spend with the Lord, the energy we need to put into serving him, the money that we, we give to him. It's a daily choice. So let's talk a little bit. What is the servant's primary goal? In uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, it says, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. So again, your focus has to be always remain on Jesus. Always. It means holding ourselves to the highest priority year in and year out, not making our first priority to win souls, to establish churches, to have revivals, but seek only to be well-pleasing to him. All those other things will fall after that, you keep that the main course, those things will happen. There's a, g a good example of keeping him in your main focus. It's what they call the conductor story. I don't know if any of you heard it. But when, you, when, when the orchestra is playing and stuff, and the people that are in the orchestra, their main focus is always to the conductor. They don't listen to what they're playing. They don't listen to the music. They don't listen to look at the crowd. They look to the conductor. Because the conductor is the one that's going to tell them up, down, back, whatever. It's the same way with the Lord. In your service, that's what you do. You keep your eyes on him. When he, he'll tell you what you need to do, what, where to move, what to do, how to do it, and you'll have it correct. God puts us in a certain place because that's exactly where he wants us to serve. You know, and sometimes we try to make it too complicated. You know, it's like, I can't serve because I can't do this or I can't do that. Or, I'm, you know, I don't do well with kiddos or, you know, I can't sing on the worship team or I can't serve. You know, serving is just being available to what the Lord asks you to do and doing it to the best of your ability because he's going to fill in the lack of your ability. 
If he's called you to something, you're not out there on your own. He's going to be the supply that gives you the empowerment. And uh, the Lord wants us to serve him faithfully and joyfully exactly where we are. And we'll stay there until it's time to move us on to our next assignment of service to him. Whatever you do, whatever your task may be, work from the soul. That is, put in your very best effort as something done for the Lord and not for men. And again, it's that focus of who are we serving. It is the Lord. And that, you know, he has the greatest example. Jesus was the greatest example of a servant. And he even said he came not to be served, but to be a servant. And his death and resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection was the greatest service to humanity and he gave us all that we need to serve him and serve others it's it's ours if we're born again and spirit filled we have his holy spirit he's given us all we need to love him to serve him and to serve others it's, you know we've got to get our hearts we have to have that relationship Right. So do you worship your work? In 1 Corinthians 3.9 it says, For we all are God's fellow workers. We are God's field, God's building. A worker who lacks controlling emphasis of concentration on God is apt to become overburdened by his work. He is a slave to his own limits, having no freedom of his body, mind, or spirit. Consequently, he becomes burned out and defeated. Remember, God engineers everything, Whatever he plans us, wherever he plants us, our one supreme goal should be to pour out our lives in wholehearted devotion to him in that particular work. The other the scripture that ties that together was what my wife just spoke about is Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So again, it's a choice. You know, he's given us everything we need to serve him. He empowers us by the Holy Spirit to serve him and to love him and to serve others. But it's a choice. And every day we get to make that choice. Choose you this day who you will serve. Thank you. I guess he's not done. I got a little bit more. (laughs) Oh, he turned the page on me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about the price of service because it's going to cost you something. And it's not, for, it's a, uh, Mark 10:45 says, even the son of man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give him, give his life a ransom for many. What's interesting about the ransom Jesus paid was the payment that is, it's connected to. It's service. So that's, that's very interesting. So there's going to be a price to pay, and it's going to be service. So if you're not serving God, then you're, then you're, not, then you're not following him. You're not paying the ransom like he paid, because he, he served, and that's what we're called to do. Jesus said he came to serve by giving his life a ransom for many, but Jesus' own life and actions illustrate that there was a price to service. Paul wrote about Christ as a servant. He wrote, let this mind of a servant be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, 
that is the mind of a servant. And that's Philippians 2.5. Our human relationships are the very conditions in which the ideal life of God should be exhibited. People should see Christ in you all the time. You should, that, that's something we should do all the time. Our service, our, our, our service, we need to remain faithful. God calls us to serve Uh, to serve him takes tremendous responsibility on us. It, he expects no complaining in our past, offers no explanation for the part God wants us to do as we become like his son. Remember Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are encompassed about such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. If you serve God and the Lord tarries, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be that cloud of witnesses. That's what you'll be. You'll be that cloud of witnesses. So my prayer is that you serve God and in the future you will be known as a cloud of witnesses. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.